We are so excited that you have joined us for this week's message from Dwelling Place Church. If you'd like to know more about Dwelling Place Church, visit us online at www.dwellingplacenc.com. For now, here's Pastor Tommy. Tonight, we're going to start with a sermon series called Outside the Box, and tonight we're going to focus on Outside the Box Love. So, awesome. Thank you, Ashton, for that. Outside the box love. Now, I mean, don't get me wrong, boxes are good things. Boxes have very important functions. You wouldn't want your pizza to be delivered to your house outside of a box. That would be very messy. <laughs> It'd be very messy, very dirty. So boxes have many uses. Boxes can store items. Boxes can carry one thing from one place to another, can transport goods. Uh, it can deliver food. Thank you, Jesus. Um, boxes, they also can define limits. Boxes can set boundaries. Boxes are something that are predictable. They're trustworthy. And there are ways of thinking that also can be described as a box or, or of a category. Uh, say, scientists, and they use scientific experiment as a method. It's a type of box of thinking in which they, they measure things, they calculate things that can be observed, and, and they make theories and hypotheses on those facts. And so we live in a world that is filled with boxes. Boxes operate well when they encounter just a, a few finite things uh, or thoughts or ideas. Uh, boxes, they fall painfully short whenever we try to put too much in them. They can, they can collapse or not hold enough uh, that we try to put in them. Um, or boxes of thinking don't do well when we try to put something unexplainable within them and we can't measure it and we can't calculate what the answer is. And when we talk about and think about God, he is something that we can be understood, and parts of him can be understood, in, in a box. In some boxes of theology or a, or a box of faith or of understanding. But we also serve a God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts and whose ways are higher than our ways. And what we find through the Bible is that God is a God who doesn't live inside of a box. He cannot be contained in a four-dimensional or a six-dimensional space. The alpha and the omega isn't confined by the limits of X and Y on a graph. In the Old Testament, we find there was the Ark of the Covenant, which the Hebrews used, and it was an object that the presence of God resided around, but it did not contain all of what God is and was at the time. And the Temple of Solomon, as beautiful and majestic as it was, it was a building that, that the presence of God went in when, when we see that when uh, King Solomon dedicated the temple that the glory of God came in like a cloud. But it still wasn't the intended place that God wanted to, to reside in and to chill in. Um, but when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, we find that God stepped outside of the box. box. The veil of the temple was, was rent in two from top to bottom. God stepped out and now we become the dwelling place of God in the spirit. He wanted to dwell not in a mountain. He didn't want to dwell in a temple or in a box. He wanted to dwell in the hearts of men, of you and I today. And so when we encounter him, we can dive into the spiritual and live life outside the box, outside of the norm. Because we know that God himself, he's infinite. He's not ruled by the same rules that we are in existence. Because the universe cannot contain God, though the universe continues to expand. The universe is held in the palm of God's hand. The greatest minds cannot outthink God. The strongest men cannot outlift him. He isn't contained by time. 
He isn't contained by space. He isn't contained by matter. The God we serve is God who lives and operates outside of the box. So one way he demonstrates this to us is through his incredible love. God is, in his essence, love. He is love. And he demonstrates his love for us by demonstrating it the only way that he can, which is outside of the box of what we try to box love as. And so we, we try to think of love in many different ways. Hartley Coleridge, a famous poet, once wrote, is love a fancy or is love a feeling? He wasn't sure what love was. We define love by uh, parental love, there's romantic love, there's uh, friendship love, there's a love of food, there's a love for a pet. Um, you know, there's different, many different kinds of love that we would <laughs> describe. Um, but the Greek word used for God's kind of love is the word agape, agape. And it means God's immeasurable, incomparable love for humankind. It is the divine love that comes from God. Agape love is perfect, it's unconditional, it's sacrificial, and it's pure. So what does this kind of outside-of-the-box outside love from God look like? We're going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Uh, in this letter to the church of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul is writing to them, and he includes this prayer in his letter to them. Uh, and this is a prayer that we can agree with today for ourselves. And it reads, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God it's a very wordy passage right there but all these dimensions of understanding the love of God is that we may be filled with all of God's fullness so there is a spiritual blessing to understanding the dimensions of God's love and it was Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesus that the church would be able to understand the love of God that passes knowledge. So it's this love that we can't understand, but he's hoping that in some way, some form or fashion, we can understand something about it. Because when we realize the love of God and explore its dimensions, its width and its length and its depth and its height, then God begins to, to do something on the inside of us. We begin to love God and to love others with the same kind of love that he has for us. Charles Spurgeon once preached, the only way to love God is to let God's love dwell in your soul till it transforms your soul into itself. And John writes in 1 John 4, 20, if someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? I mean, it makes perfect good sense. You know, if we can't get along with someone that we can't see, how do you expect to get along with someone you can't? And so though we cannot see God, there are ways we can see what his, these dimensions of his love look like. So we're going to unbox some of the dimensions of God's love together. So I want to start with the width, the width of God's love. One way to describe the width of God's love is that there's no place on earth that his love doesn't touch. Psalm 139, verse 8 through 10, David said, Where 
can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So God's love is encompassing. It's encompassing. John 3.16 doesn't say that God just so loved the holy people. God so loved just the, the people who try to live right. God just doesn't love, came for the clean people or the nice people or the rich people or the poor people. God so loved the world that he gave. The world that he gave. No exclusions are listed in John 3.16. The width of God's love isn't confined just to one people group or one type of culture. It extends to the Jew and to the Greek, as many as the Lord will call. God came and gave us salvation. It was God's desire that no one would perish. And I'm probably going to quote this, this reference from C.S. Lewis often, because it just, it just hit me when I first read it, and I love it so much, but uh, about his perspective of God sending people to hell. Because he says that there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without the self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find. To those who knock, it is opened. That's right. yes. So God's love is broad enough to, to be available to the entire world. Mm -hmm. And it's just up to each individual of what choices they will make. Whether we will choose God, I'm going to live according to your word, I'm going to live your way, according to, to what your word says. Or I'm going to live life the way I think it should go, the way I see fit. And so, either way, there's going to be consequences to the decisions we make in life. But the width of God's love is always there. It's always present. It's not going anywhere. It's not going to change. It's, it's always going to be with us. And if the enemy can convince someone that God doesn't love them, that he doesn't care about them, then if they're convinced of that, they put themselves in an extremely vulnerable place. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 12, concerning the last days, he says, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. People will be thinking, you know, how, with all this stuff going on, how can there still be a loving God? The church, don't ever lose sight of God's love. Don't ever lose sight of it and be distracted by things that are, are trivial or things that can, can be explained. Because people look for love in all of the wrong places, but there is a love that has been looking for every person ever since, even before they've been born. And that is the love of God. Because no matter how bad the world gets, no matter how dark the times are that we live in, the love of God, the love that God has for us will never change. Right. It is always something we can count on. It's always something we can lean on. It's always something we can depend on. The love of God. That is the width of God's love. The length of God's love is, is, we can see it with Jesus' mission, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection. The length, the love of God has gone for us. We may never fully understand because the love of God reached across the span of the universe to invade the earth as a child born in a manger. He could have just showed up one day. He could have just appeared. He could have came any other way, but he decided to come as a babe born in the manger. God went through the length of putting aside himself of his heavenly position to come as a man. He came as being 100% God and 100% man to accomplish something no other being in existence could accomplish or had the power to do. And that 
was to reconcile mankind to himself. That was to take away the sin that has separated man from God. To pay the debt of sin, which God didn't owe. We owed that debt to him. But he was the only one qualified to ever pay the price. He chose to suffer as a man suffers, to feel pain. I mean, he chose to, to experience everything of what it is to be a man, to be alive, to have the experience of being human, to have sweat come down his face when he worked hard or in the hot Israel sun. I mean, his sweat at one point even became his great drops of blood the same night he was betrayed. He felt his muscles ache at the end of the day. He knew what hard work was. He worked with his hands to, to build furniture, to build houses, to, to work as a carpenter's son. The same God who formed man from the dust took the form of man and wrote in the dust with his hand. He experienced firsthand what it is to labor and to live. But I'm so grateful for Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says in the Amplified Version, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, in every respect as we are, yet without committing any sin. He lived his life as the example of the perfect man. That Jesus, some of the things that Jesus went through and going through the temptations in the wilderness and some of the things that he faced in his ministry, it wasn't because, I mean, I mean he could handle anything that came his way, but he did some of the things he did to prove to us that being 100% man, that we can follow in his footsteps, that we can try through the help of the Holy Spirit yes. to be Christ-like. And if this wasn't enough, the greatest length of love God showed us um, was from the road that led from the Last Supper to the Garden to uh, before Caiaphas and the high priests to uh, Herod and to Pontius Pilate and up to Via Della Rosa to Golgotha's Hill. Not only was Jesus' mission in itself such a supernatural occurrence, but God went through the lengths of time and prophecy all throughout the Old Testament through 39 books what his plan of redemption was. And so not only was Jesus' mission in itself a length, an extension of love, but God through went, went through all the effort for 39 books up until Christ's coming to show a type of shadow of Christ when he did come. In Genesis, we, we see that Jesus was the seed of the woman that bruised the serpent's head. In Exodus, Jesus was our Passover lamb who was sacrificed for us, whose blood covered us from the angel of death. In Leviticus, Jesus was our scapegoat who bore our sins on the cross. In Numbers, Jesus was lifted up on a pole like the bronze serpent was lifted up to heal the people of their diseases. In Deuteronomy, Jesus was the prophet like Moses who God raised up to lead his people. He is the head, we are the body. In Joshua, Jesus was there as a commander of the Lord's army. And Joshua said, are you on, are you on our side or, or where, what side are you on? And and the angel of the Lord said to him, no, but you, you better be on my side, for I'm on the Lord's army. In Judges, Jesus was there as the angel of the Lord, encouraging Gideon to be strong and courageous. In Ruth, Jesus, in his incarnation, became as our kinsman redeemer, who was able to redeem us from sin. First Samuel, Jesus is the horn of salvation that God raised up for us, just as God raised up King David. In Second Samuel, Jesus is the son of David, prophesied to rule as the king. In 1 Kings, Jesus is the answer to the question, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? And in 2 Kings, Jesus is a prophet similar to Elisha, who multiplied loaves in the feeding of the 5,000. In 1 Chronicles, Jesus is the son of David, whose kingdom would last forever. He's both the priest and king. 
In 2 Chronicles, Jesus was typified as a one that is greater than Solomon in his wisdom. In Ezra, the preservation of the holy seed mattered because the lineage of Jesus matters. Because we see that in uh, we see Mary's lineage and Joseph's lineage uh, being the lineage of David. In Nehemiah, Nehemiah foreshadows Jesus cleansing the temple as he drew out the money changers. In Esther, Jesus was uh, typified by Mordecai's exaltation from a persecuted Jew to the highest position in the land. In Job, Jesus is our living redeemer who stood on the earth. In Psalms, Jesus was the one whose hands and feet were pierced on the cross. Yes. In Proverbs, Jesus was the son of God who descended from heaven to save us and ascended to be our advocate. In Ecclesiastes, Jesus was the good shepherd who taught us the truth. Yes. In Song of Solomon, Jesus' love for his church was typified in Solomon's love for his bride. The Shunammite, not the Shunammite, which I forget which one. I think it's the Shunammite woman. Anyway, in Isaiah, Jesus was prophesied to be the one to take our sins' punishment. In Jeremiah, Jesus was the branch that sprang up from the line of David. In Lamentations, Jesus would also be in tears over Jerusalem's condition. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. In Ezekiel, Jesus is the chief shepherd who fed the people physically and spiritually. In Daniel, Jesus was prophesied to arrive as king on the exact day that he did. In Hosea, Jesus was the true son of God that was brought out of Egypt. And in Joel, Jesus would be the name that people could call on for salvation. For there's salvation in no other name. In Amos, Jesus was going to arrive when the tabernacle of David was repaired after the exile. In Obadiah, Jesus will rule the kingdom in the millennial period. In Jonah, Jonah himself typified the, the, the death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus being swallowed by the fish. In Micah, the birthplace of Jesus in Bethlehem was prophesied. In Nahum, the redemption secured by Jesus over our enemy is good news to bring to all. In Habakkuk, this verse is quoted three times in the New Testament, pointing to faith in Jesus. And in Zephaniah, Jesus will be the king in the midst of his people during his millennial reign. In Haggai, Jesus was a descendant of Zerubbabel, fulfilling this promise. And in Zechariah, Jesus was prophesied to arrive on a donkey, which we know in the triumphal entry. And in Malachi, Jesus had John the Baptist as a forerunner, and he himself came to the temple. Woo! 39 books in the Bible. Jesus appeared in some kind of way in each and every single one of them. And so the love of God, the length of God, went to that length to include him in 39 books written over 4,000 years or so by many different authors, a supernatural occurrence just in and of itself. And that was just a summary of the Old Testament. I mean, in every single one of those books, there are multiple verses that talk about Christ, that talk about his coming. There's numerical significance. There's stories in and of themselves that show Christ and, and the love of God in each and one of those books. I mean, if you look at uh, um, Joseph, if you look at Jonah, Moses, I mean, just every single book is filled with the love and purpose of God. This is the kind of love that cannot be contained in a box. That every time we try to say, okay, God is, is this big, he breaks through that box, and we see that he is so much greater. God would move himself from heaven to earth that we may be able to move with him from earth to heaven. There is a God who went the distance for you and for me. He went, and he went the greatest distance that anyone or anything could go just because he loves us. And no matter how far we could run away from him, his love would catch us. His love would run even further than we could run from him with his love. David said he couldn't escape God's presence, and neither can we. God loves us so desperately, which also brings us to the depth, the depth of God's love. 
We have the width, we have the length, now the depth. We just sang that song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. How vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Um, one way to measure the depth of God's love is with the cup of mankind's depravity. What I mean by that is, however great our sin is, his love is greater. His love is greater. When sin entered the world, death entered into existence. Adam and Eve were living in the garden. They lived in a world that was, was free from sin, that was free from death, and they could just live in this paradise, in this garden of Eden. But man was separated from the very presence of God when Adam and Eve sinned, and, and sin and death came into the world. And you cannot sink any lower than that. You cannot make a mistake any lower than that. And every one of us are guilty of that mistake, of sin. Dooming not only mankind, but I mean, the whole of reality was shifted. Adam used to talk with God in the cool of the day. They had this relationship that was, was a friendship that was so close and intimate. And uh, they had nothing that came in between their relationship until sin came on the scene. And under Moses, God established the tabernacle and the sacrificial system in which the sins of the land could be covered by the high priest on the Day of Atonement. That the sins of Israel could be covered through the high priest and through the, sacrificial, the sacrifice of the lamb. And it was something that had to be done regularly. It had to be done just right in order to be something that could appease the wrath of God. But Hebrews 10.4 tells us it was impossible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. And so a more excellent sacrifice was needed to pay the price for sin. I mean, how do you fix a mess that big? I mean, I mean, it's not just like you you make a mistake and, and you trip or you, you hurt somebody, but sin caused death to enter into the world. And so man couldn't fix this mistake by himself. There was nothing that mankind could do that could fix the issue of sin. I mean, have you ever been caught doing something wrong and knew you couldn't fix it? It's a terrible feeling. I mean, like you just wish there was something you could do. You wish there was something you could do to, 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 to fix it. But whatever happened was done and is done. And that was the case for sin. It was the case for sin. But like I said earlier, how great our sin was, his love was greater. And that is how deep his love goes. I think that one of the older songs describes it quite well, that I'll never, I'll never know how much it cost to see my sin upon the cross. It, it is something that we can only really experience in part, seeing what Jesus did. We'll never know how great of a sacrifice that was, but thank God that we can reap the benefits of that, that our sin can be cleansed, that we can be redeemed as though we have never sinned because of the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And, and even while he was on the cross, Jesus had the kind of love to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In the midst of the sacrifice, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of paying that price, his heart was still full of love. Yeah. Romans 5, 6 in the Amplified says, While we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation, at the right time Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life, even for an upright man. Though perhaps for a good man, one who is noble and selfless and worthy, someone might even dare to die. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A beautiful example of God's love. 
Jesus, the perfect man that never sinned, that never made a mistake, got down on our lowest level in the miry clay to put his arm around us and bring us up out of it, to bring us up out of it. The depth of his love isn't where it ends either, because it's also the height of his love, which makes the depth so much deeper, because I mean, you're going down and going up, it's just it's going to multiply. But the height of his love, how far up it goes, and one aspect of the height of God's love is that we can be seated with him in heavenly places. We can be seated with him in heavenly places that he didn't just save us just to leave us here on earth, but he saved us so that we have the hope of heaven. We have the hope of heaven. Psalm 40 verse 2 says, He also brought me up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. His love doesn't just pull us out of the miry clay, but it, it causes us to ascend with him that we can be raised with Christ in his resurrection to sit in heavenly places. That is amazing. That, that is a part of God's love that we only experience a part of on earth. We won't know the fullness of that part of God's love until we make it to glory and we're seated with him in heavenly places. It's incredible. So when Christ died on the cross and said it was finished, his mission didn't end there. He was buried for three days, and then he rose to life again. And because his outside-of-the-box kind of love, it couldn't be chained by death, it couldn't be kept confined to a tomb, but he rose again. He rose to life again. Amen. Ephesians 2, 4 says it perfectly. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That about says it all. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We still haven't experienced everything that God has for us. There is still more to come. There is still hope ahead. There is the hope of heaven ahead. And the love of God says that it's, it's outside the box of what we can think of because while there is the, the love of God that is, is with us on earth and that is with us in heaven, there's also a love of God that transforms us while we're here on earth that shows us how to love in a way that we're unfamiliar with loving people and loving things. Like Ashton was talking about earlier, she has a love for our daughter, Alora, that you know is just absolutely incredible. And yet God loves us even more than that. But Jesus teaches us, as he taught his disciples, that what we thought would be the minimum of loving someone, God says it falls painfully short. Because Peter asked Jesus one day, he's like, you know, how many times should I forgive my neighbor? Should I forgive them, say, seven times? That seems like a lot to me. But Jesus said, no, that, that's not even the minimum. It's 70 times seven. And in one passage it says 70 times seven times to forgive someone in one day. And so... That's a lot of time for someone to upset you in one day. That, and I think the point Jesus was trying to make was that it's not about the numbers. It's about as many times as someone would try to offend you in a day, the love of God would forgive them. And that's the way that Jesus wants us to love people, is to love them that much. To, even to the point of loving one's enemy. To, to, I mean, they were under the Roman occupation. They were, they were servants to Rome, and yet Jesus told them that if a Roman soldier was to, to ask you to carry his armor a mile don't just stop there carry it two miles carry it the extra mile the extra step to show the love of jesus of doing good 
those who despitefully use you. I mean, naturally, we don't want to do that. If someone kicks dirt in our eye, we want to let them have it. We want to defend ourselves. We want to speak up for ourselves. And, and there's, there is a, a place for that. But also, the love of God would seek to do good even to someone who would wish to do you evil. And why is that? Why would God seek for us to love in that kind of way? Because when we show the love of Jesus to someone, it gets their attention. They're not used to experiencing love. They're used to when they kick dirt in someone's eye, they're used to someone retaliating. They're used to someone, they're used to the law of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Because no one naturally makes themselves vulnerable to someone else on purpose. That's just not in human nature. I saw a testimony on Facebook recently that um, one of the top satanic priests um, resigned. This guy was, was fully in the satanic church. He was all about it. He was, um, I think, either the highest position or one of the highest positions you can be in that church. And he resigned, turned in his credentials, turned in everything that he had to do with satanic worship. And he confessed to being a follower of Christ. He, he posted his testimony. Um, but he explains what changed his mind. Is one day he went to do a, a radio talk show. And in that he was just, you know, blaspheming God, said so he doesn't believe in God or Jesus or any of that stuff. And he got through with the, the radio talk show and a, a lady in the studio came and gave him a hug. And the hug was just unconditional and he was unexpecting it. And he felt like he didn't deserve it. And that, that hug stayed with him after he left that day. Because that was one of the first times in his life he really experienced something he didn't deserve in the form of love. It nagged at him, and he admitted he was just a broken person. The reason he was following the Satanic Church and so many others in that, that religion was because they're broken people, and they didn't think God loved them. But just, just that one act by that woman who was, was probably moved by the Spirit of God and to show the love of God through her action, his life was forever changed. His life was forever changed because the love of God made the difference. Ashton, if you'll come. I mean, even talking about these dimensions tonight, if we talk about the width of God's love and the length of God's love and the depth of God's love and the height, I, it's just scratching the surface because God is infinite and his love is infinite for us. But as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, he prayed that they would understand and comprehend and know what these dimensions of God's love was so that we could be filled with the fullness of his love. Because God has an outside-the-box kind of love. It's wide enough to wrap around the world. It's long enough to find us no matter how far we run. It's deep enough to get us out of the deepest hole we can dig for ourselves. And it's high enough to give us a new life with him. So whether you've realized it up to this moment or not, God loves you. God loves you immeasurably, more than we can any of us hope to understand. And if we can all stand together, I want to give an invitation. Because God loves us, each individual, so very much. And there's not anything we could do, there's not anything we could say that would ever separate us from the love of God. Paul says in another portion, what can separate us from the love of God? Can anything do it? Can angels or principalities or powers or things within our control, things outside of our control. And he concludes by saying there is nothing that can separate us from his love. 
end of the day, the only thing that separates us from God is our choice. We say, God, I don't want anything to do with you. Just as C.S. Lewis said. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I first want to give an invitation for salvation. Perhaps you knew God at one point, but maybe you turned your back on him. Maybe you went the other way and, and you backslid a little bit. If you want to receive Jesus in your life, just raise your hand and we'd just be happy to pray with you. Say, God, I need you. I need your love in my life. Thank you, Jesus. The second thing I want to do tonight together is for us to come together as a body and pray in agreement with the prayer of Paul. It's an amazing prayer that we'd be able to be unboxed in our understanding of God's love, to be strengthened in our faith, that Christ may dwell in our hearts and that we may fully comprehend the love of God and be filled with overflowing with the fullness of God's love. Because I know sometimes I need God's love in a situation when I want to act in the flesh, when I want to act in the, in the way that Tommy thinks best, but the love of God would, would say differently about a situation. So I want to read the text one last time of, of what Paul prayed. And I want us to pray together and ask the Lord. He says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Can we pray for that tonight? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you tonight. God, we are so thankful and grateful for your love that your love went the distance to enter into our reality to come as a man to live a blameless life, to die in our stead, to pay the price for our sin, to be raised from the dead, and to ascend to glory. Father, I just ask God that you help us to understand and to comprehend together this kind of outside-the-box love. That, Lord, you would open up our understanding that, Lord, we may be ambassadors of your love, just as that woman was. Or that man who, who lived a life of, of Satanism, who lived a life that was far from you, that, that didn't want anything to do with you until he encountered your love through a lady. Because it is the kindness of the Lord that brings us to repentance. And so, Lord, we just pray tonight that you would equip us, that you would empower us as your people, and that you also heal us as your people with your love. Because, Lord, we go through wounds. We've had some experiences that have cut us deep. We've had experiences that have offended us, that have scarred us, God. But no matter how deep we have been hurt, your love is able to go even deeper to heal that place in our hearts. So God, I just pray over your people tonight for healing, emotional healing, mental healing, 